We invest in different fields, but most importantly, as I, we strongly believe in, in product-led growth. So if you build an amazing product that people like to use and they have this wow moment, like, hey, okay, we onboarded you guys and we already make thousands and thousands of dollars after the launch of your integration, then it's a very nice and smooth process. Welcome in to Studying Success. On this podcast, I interview entrepreneurs, investors, and CEOs who reveal their personal stories and advice for high school and college students on how to be successful in the business world. In this episode, we are joined by Klaus Wegener, who is a co-founder and managing director at 35up, a company that provides e-commerce sites with cross-selling software. Prior to 35up, Klaus co-founded a custom laptop and phone case company called Caseable, where he was the CEO. Additionally, Klaus founded Kumu, which is a non-profit education organization in Africa that helps teenagers go to college. Here's the interview. Class, it's so good to have you on the podcast. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Where are you right now? Berlin. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful gray Berlin currently. Let's first talk about 35up. What is 35up? So 35up is a platform for embedded cross-selling. We created 35up to allow all those online merchants that are not Amazon or the marketplaces to properly do cross-selling with items that they don't have in inventory. So we make use of a huge vendor network, currently 5 million products, both digital and physical, that our merchants, maybe Shopify shops, Shopware shops, Magento are able to cross sell in their checkout directly with whatever, you know, the end customer has as a main item in the basket. Could you define for our audience what is cross-selling? So cross-selling, and I'm sure the audience has seen this pretty much everywhere. So it's those little buttons or those products that are shown in the online funnel. And above it says customers also bought or something like something of interest to you could be the following items. So pretty much match to the behavior of the online customer. And based on that, there's a big selection of items that the online shop would like to cross-sell or upsell. And we do that for all those online merchants that don't have the capacity to have a huge inventory or supply chain to be able to really offer sort of the perfect products to whatever is currently in the checkout funnel of the customer. How'd you come up with the idea for 35Up? The idea was actually created through a venture that I founded 10 years ago, or actually 11 years ago, I believe it was now. So the first company I did was Caseable. And and Caseable was, or is, still around, pretty successful, a company that sells accessories, phone accessories, tablet accessories, with the beauty of producing everything on demand. So the minute you ordered something online, in that moment, our manufacturing would start really producing that case, that laptop sleeve, backpack, you name it. So our idea was, from early on, was really that mass customization approach, only produce what the customers really wanted. Maybe, you know, with your own photos, logos, company, NFL sports team, you name it, to have that on your case or backpack for that matter. So that was sort of our first step into that whole, okay, let's revolutionize the supply chain strategy, not to have too much or too many products in inventory. Because since we were able to produce everything on demand based on whatever the customers wanted, we were able to reduce our, you know, inventory risk drastically. That worked perfectly on a B2C level, but we all 
always wanted to place those products into the online shop or the funnel of our partners. Partners in that case could have been T-Mobile, Vodafone, you know, those big telcos that we targeted at the time. And none of them were excited to actually integrate us from a customization perspective. They did see the benefit of not having inventory, but they were just not able to do that. The standard answer was like, hey, we love your products. Can you give us 10,000 units and whatever we don't sell, we'll ship back to you, right? So, you know, for a company of our size, it was not feasible from multiple angles liquidity, supply chain, and at the end of the day, also sustainability, right? What do you do with those products that hold a T-Mobile logo, the packaging for that matter? So we thought, how can we push our products that we produce on demand into the checkout of, you know, a T-Mobile, a Vodafone, for instance, and then automatically match those products that we produce to whatever is in the basket. That was to bring sort of another advantage to Vodafone to use our product, to use our service, right? Because we want it to be as accurate as possible to, let's say you buy a black iPhone and just, you know, standard plan, student plan, whatever. We wanted to then push sort of a, you know, a standard iPhone case in that case. But let's say if a girl were to be in the checkout funnel, it would have been a golden iPhone. We wanted to automatically recommend something more girly, something more female, female design, whatever. Always with the advantage of, first of all, us not having to have this in inventory, but also the huge advantage for Vodafone to actually be able to sell those products on a much more personalized level without even having inventory. So that was our first goal. And it worked out really well with a partner here in Germany that at that time gave us sort of the chance to try out our API, our solution. And given the fact that it worked so well, we immediately went to like 20, 25% cross-selling, which means, you know, every fourth person used our product stream, used our recommendation engine to buy something alongside with the main item in the basket. And because of that, we discovered, hey, you know, let's just not only look at electronics. I mean, of course, we know the field. This is where we came from. But let's look at others. Let's look at travel. Let's look at food. Let's look at, you know, the kids industries, you know, enormous. And there was one backpack manufacturer here in in Germany that we approached with the idea of like, hey, let's sell kids books with, you know, along with your backpack for kids for elementary school. And that also really worked well, right? So people, so parents bought, you know, not only the backpack, but automatically in the checkout, a couple of books, notebooks, normal books, something that the backpack manufacturer or online shop for that matter, didn't have to put in inventory. So we realized, hey, that really works. Let's carve out sort of the technology into a new company because given we're, you know, right at the beginning, Caseable was a great position to start out of, but given the fact that we wanted to become a partner of multiple different verticals, what I just mentioned, right? Travel, food, kids, we had to be become independent. We couldn't, you know, stay sort of under the caseable umbrella. And that's when we started to reach out to investors, had a seed round of roughly 3 million US early 2021. And then another bigger round, Series A, just now a couple of months ago, always with sort of that goal, hey, we want to bring cross-selling to every online merchant out there. That's not a marketplace. So we're not targeting an Amazon. We're not targeting an eBay or, you know, other massive companies. So... Yeah, that's kind of where we stand. Did your team at 
Caseable build the AI to kind of automatically suggest the products? How did you know how to build that technology? So for the time we had our first basic recommendation engine and we had our AI models that were based on a few partners that we had at the time. I think the biggest breakthrough came when we carved out the company and we had more funding to actually hire data scientists to hire people that had much more resources at their hand. And I think I would say it's not yet there where we want it to be, but it's pretty sophisticated to showcase sort of the right products at the right time in the checkout. But I think that really started, I would say, a year ago, where we had enough resources, also from a data perspective, to really feed the recommendation engine and become more accurate. And the beauty is the more checkouts we have, the more partners we have, the better the recommendation engine becomes because we use data across all the online shops, of course, anonymous, but we do use and we know if something works really well at company A in, let's say, the US and company B is very similar, but company B is in Austria, we, of course, try to show sort of similar products and make use of the data that we collected. After branching out from Caseable and starting this new company, how did you reach out to investors and what was that like to raise your seed round? It was interesting at the time, given that no one else had done something like that before, it was a little bit more difficult. That's also the biggest difference, I would say, between US and European investors. US investors or European investors are much more risk averse when it comes to stuff they haven't seen at all, right? Like in the US, which I like, it's like, hey, okay, it hasn't been there before. It doesn't automatically trigger the thought of like, okay, if it hasn't been done before, maybe it doesn't work. That's kind of the more of a European mindset. In the US, it's like, okay, it hasn't been done before. Hey, let's give it a shot. Even if we fail, we'd at least try it kind of thing, right? So that's sort of the biggest difference. And we did the first round during COVID, which was also not easy, right? Before that, it was always you met investors for coffee, for meetings, you know, in person. And then it was all remote. And that was also a massive change because at the end of the day, especially Series A, but also even more importantly, seed investors, they invest in you as a founder or in the founding team, not so much in the idea. Yeah, they have to like the idea, of course, and they need to see the potential, but they go after you. And that, of course, to bring that across what your vision is, but most importantly, also what the synergies are between the founding team, right? That's super crucial and super difficult to bring across over video call. That has been a challenge. Not impossible, but, you know, a challenge. And we usually, how we found them was through the network. So, of course, it helped being sort of a second-time founder because you've met a lot of investors and other entrepreneurs on the way that can either direct you and, hey, you're now going into software as a service. You know, investor A, B, C, D that very much likes SaaS. And then you have other investors that are very fond of e-com technology and other ones that just do fintech. So you build up your network on the way, but it's super important to stay authentic, right? That is something that you can pretty well bring across through your team because your team then supports each other, like the founding team, each other and compensates for weaknesses, for instance, that you have. And I think showing that as a team is really authentic and also publicly talking, hey, this is my weakness. But then again, hey, we have Fabian, co-founder, who can then kind of tackle that, which I'm not good at, right? So that's kind of important. And usually that comes across better in, in on-site meetings or in-person meetings. But, you know, once you have sort of the first investors on board, the others will follow. It's easier. Do you have any tips for building your network so that you can reach out to these investors when you want to start something? 
Yeah, I mean, investors are, I wouldn't say public figures, but they're very much out there, right? So they have quite active LinkedIn profiles. They're at conferences. They do speeches. They do keynotes. They do podcasts, right? And I think, first of all, before you go into a meeting or even approach someone that you haven't talked to, connect with him or her through something that she or he has done before, right? Maybe an article, read the article, use that to approach that person. It's always better to, of course, have someone that introduces you to the investor, right? Instead of cold calling or cold emailing. But even cold emailing works well, but you have to have the right angle. And I think to have the right angle, it always helps to look at sort of the sweet spot or the sweet topics that the investor has talked about or likes specifically. Some are really into KPIs. Some are really into storytelling. Some are really into, you name it, right? Could be anything, but this is often public knowledge based on white papers, blog entries, interviews, podcasts, Thirty-five up allows e-commerce sites to access more than four million products through multiple vendors. How did you meet these vendors, and how do you partner with them, and how did that work? I mean, at the end of the day, we just approached them based on the different verticals. So we thought, hey, you know, what's a vertical that's super interesting for travel? So that's books, right? So we we approached a company that does books. We approached someone that does insurance because you know insurance, you know, you sell an insurance along when you buy a TV or warranty extension kind of thing. So that was pretty easy. We just looked at, okay, which verticals do we want to grow into? What are the sort of the next steps per vertical? And based on that, we just approached them. It's also, I wouldn't say the hardest sell. It's sort of a little bit of a chicken egg problem, right? They wouldn't just partner up with you if you didn't have any other online shops already as your merchants. But since we already do have quite the number of online merchants using our technology, we can always say to the vendors, hey guys, we're giving you another revenue channel by just partnering with us and they're like okay let's do this so there's kind of not really a downside for them except for if we didn't have any online merchants customers on the one side then of course we would have a bit of a credibility problem of you know onboarding with uh, vendors because they are like hey where are you guys live where can I sell my products because of course the onboarding process does cost a little bit of money on the vendor side they have to integrate us and so they, they need to see the business case but they do see that so what led to you guys doing a second round of funding we wanted to grow. We wanted to grow quicker. We wanted to bring more senior people on board. And, you know, the round just made sense. Was it hard to find investors or was it kind of easy since you've already built your network? It was a mix of both. I'd say it it would have been much easier last year or say, sorry, 2021, I guess. 2022 with, especially in Europe, the economic downturn with the war in the Ukraine and inflation going up. It was a little bit more tough to find good investors. We had a couple of ones at the end that wanted to invest. I'd say it was okay. It wasn't terrible, but it was also not a walk in the park. And so what are your goals now with this new capital? We invest in different fields, but most importantly, as I, we strongly believe in, in product-led growth. So if you build an amazing product that people like to use and they have this wow moment, like, hey, okay, we onboarded you guys and we already make thousands and thousands of dollars after the launch of your integration, then it's a very nice and smooth process to go forward. So what does your day-to-day look like? You're running Caseable on top of 35up and you're also involved with Kumu. Yeah, so Caseable, I'm only board member. So I have check-ins from time to time with the management. It's great management. It's also not so easy to find, especially, you know, you as founder or most of the founders that I know have at some stage trouble to let go. It wasn't that bad for me, I believe, but it's still, you want to leave your first child, I'd say, in sort of very good hands. So I'm only board member, but the, the management is great. They're doing a great 
job. And Kumo is, is something on the side. It's actually a passion project. I strongly believe in education and to grant everyone on the planet a very good education because with education, you solve a lot of problems from conflict, from fake news, from tolerance. A lot of things you solve with education and it's a pain or pains me that only certain, really depending on the country, that you have this people that would like to go and they can't afford it. So that's kind of for me a big wow moment as well when I traveled Africa with my wife in 2018 and we saw a need for something to be changed in Malawi. The people are super nice, good standard, like people are super eager to do something with their lives but not having access to higher education just because it was too expensive. I mean, it ranges between 300 and 500 bucks a year but that includes at least accommodation and food and tuition. But a lot of people were, you know, if you live off a dollar a day, your entire family, there's just no chance. And there's also not a lot of scholarships and such. So from that perspective, we wanted to build something where, you know, people from Western countries are able to support kids. We focused, as I said, on Malawi, but essentially you can do it pretty much around the world. We want to match people that have careers in you name it, could be in education, could be a car sales, could be a dealership, anything. And that person connects with someone in Africa who also wants to become a salesman for cars or wants to become a teacher or wants to become a dentist. So we match, you know, people that are dentists in Western world and match them with people that want to become dentists or whatever their dream is. And it's essentially allowing these kids then to go to college through donations from their mentors that we matched with before through the platform. That's the idea. It's a side project. Um, Unfortunately, not too much time. I'm always trying to find supporters to help me on that journey. What we do make use of is partners of, you know, Caseable, of 35Up, HB, AWS that we use, for instance. And these guys have to grant some extra resources for that. Or UPS that we use for shipping in the US. They have to, you know, help us out. It's fun. I just wish I had more time. But then again, they only have 24 hours. You've talked a lot about social impact with your businesses. You've talked about sustainability and carbon footprint. How much do you think? think about when you're running a business, the social impact that anything could have? I think about it a lot. The problem is I think more about what customers think that we should think. It sounds a little bit weird, but the problem is when we started a huge campaign on caseable.com at the time with recycled cell phone cases, I think we were the first ones and we're so excited. We put it live, we put the campaign live, we reached out to a lot of people. We did, you know, Google ads and everything. And surprisingly, a lot of people were quite psyched about it, but then bought the standard cases, right? Because they could save five bucks. So it's always a matter of, okay, how much can you influence or how much can you contribute, but not at the cost of revenue, especially in the stage of the company that we're in. We have to kind of juggle both scenarios, right? We still have to make revenue, but you build a product. And that's kind of where I think most about that even supports that and allows sustainability, then you kind of hit the sweet spot. But it's not like, okay, you know, as a company, okay, let's do something sustainable because people like it out there they like it but they don't buy it or they if they can save five bucks to buy the cheaper one they usually do what would you say is the biggest challenge that 35 up faces um we don't currently have the biggest i mean biggest challenge is i'd say talent to always find the right people for your journey and to keep those people we we have a super low fluctuation in the company which i'm quite proud of i think that's something not challenging at the time being but always something to think about like hey do you always have the right people in that moment to kind of 
follow your vision and to succeed in, you know, six, 12, 24 months. What advice would you have on entrepreneurship or business in general? I'd say be authentic and also challenge your business idea with as many people as possible. When we've created Caseable at the time, we were super secretive about it and only talked about it with very, very few people. And that's something I wouldn't do again. I would talk to as many people as possible. And even if people tell you, hey, you're in a terrible field, don't do it, don't do it. It doesn't necessarily have to convince you not to do it, but it will give you a sort of broader perspective on potential problems, potential issues or challenges that can arise. Because that's something that you kind of always have to think about when being entrepreneurial. Like think about what can go wrong, not focus on it. Always focus on to be super optimistic, but don't underestimate it, sort of the challenges on the way. And if you're able to tackle those challenges before they even arise, then you hit the jackpot. Do you have any resources like books, podcasts, essays that you would recommend to learn about business? I always like what Scott Galloway from the NYU, it's a marketing professor, I like his podcast. Pretty broad, it's about, you know, politics, marketing, entrepreneurship. There's one book, it's called Design to Scale. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I like that one. How to Structure a Business for Exponential Growth. Yeah, I like podcasts the most, but most of it, I actually listen to podcasts on uh, historic ones to learn sort of from mistakes that, you know, our previous generations have made or learned from those. And there's always something cool you can take out of. So that's usually something I listen to or read. Awesome. Klaus, thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Pleasure. As always, thank you for listening and please make sure you follow Studying Success to get notified when new podcasts come out. Also, please leave a review and send the podcast to your friends and family to show them what you learned. It would greatly help the show. I'm Will Burkhart and you've been listening to Studying Success. 